Welcome to Fretnot with me, Rosie Bennett. Fretnot is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the heroes and the champions of our field about the lessons that have most defined their careers and help us to figure out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process, so let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realize that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, my string of choice and a company full of my favorite people in the guitar world. I play the Imperial Reds and the Paragon Reds if I fancy a little bit of a sharper sound. You can check them out at augustinestrings.com. In today's episode, I talk to Scottish guitarist Matthew McAllister. Matthew's actually a guitarist who I've had the privilege of knowing for a really long time. We met when I was back in high school and I went to play at the Big Guitar Weekend in Glasgow where Matthew teaches. He's a wonderful, funny guy, funny guitarist, funny teacher. He's definitely not afraid to say what he thinks. And when I asked Matthew what he'd like for me to plug, he said that he would like me to plug his classical guitar retreat, which takes place on an island off of Scotland. This year's teachers include Matthew Cochran, Stephanie Jones, Svanna Philbergson, sorry if I'm getting any of these names wrong, Matthew himself, Duo KM, which is made up of Katrin Klingerberg and Sebastian Montes, and Roberto Furslaus. I'm going to say Furslaus in a Dutch accent. It's written that way. I'm sorry if I've murdered your names. That classical guitar retreat takes place in this beautiful island. I've seen lots of pictures from previous years. Really wonderful atmosphere there. Obviously, you're just in nature having these wonderful lessons. You get the chance to record. You get the chance to take pictures. Really worth checking out. I will put the link in the description box below so you can check it out at your own pace. But if you do fancy checking it out as you're listening now, you can find it at cgretreats.com. That's enough from me for now. You'll hear from me again at the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy. So, Matthew, thank you for talking to me. And I'll ask you just straight away, what's the lesson you've learned that's been the most meaningful to you? Oh, that is such a difficult question. Um, you gave me a heads up on this as well, and I tried to think about it. And in my, you know, normal style, I thought I'd just wing it. I'm not sure. I can't... Specifically one thing, it's impossible... A multitude of things, I'm sure, all combining into one sort of idea. Um, it's probably just that, like, as you get a bit longer in the tooth and you do this for longer, you know the things that you should avoid, let's say, and the people that you should avoid and the things that aren't of really any benefit to you or to the people that are associated with you or that work with you or that study with you or that you try and impart advice to. So I think, like, the biggest lesson might be that in your head, whenever you're embarking on something or listening to someone else, you're sort of thinking, why is this person telling me this? Do you know what I mean? Or why am I, being, why am I doing this? Why am I being asked to do this? So I guess it's like a constant feeling of just sort of checking yourself and like, you know that film with Leonardo DiCaprio? Well, he's in it. There's loads of good people in it. but And he's he's got a little thing that he spins and, he, and that tells him where he is. It's uh, Inception. And it's all about mm. dreams, and it's about dream states. And he's got this little totem thing that he knows the feel of, and he, he can hold it in his hand, and he knows for sure that's real. Mm. That, like, you know, just checking in all the time to just know, is this actually, like, what I want to do? Or, 
what I want to be happening because you know in the music world it's like you get pulled and pushed in so many different ways um, so yeah having a totem having something that you know is real that you can discern it by its feel and its touch you know and whether that's like your own selves like self I don't know sense of worth maybe or like centre or something like that but yeah that is the biggest lesson finding that and then holding mm-hmm. on to that whilst the, you know the storms are blowing around your head all the time in music does that make sense? yeah definitely what do you think yours is? what's your totem? sound probably probably sound probably you know just uh thinking about sound it's like the thing that I probably enjoy the most when I listen to other players or other musicians you know um, it's the thing that keeps me there for the longest keeps my attention for the longest and it keeps me engaged um, with with the student or with the person for, for the longest period so usually when I'm working on something like say a piece or whatever I always come back to like well how, how do I want it to sound and how do I want the different aspects of it to change sonically as I develop it so yeah, my totem is sound. There you go. Okay, interesting. And have you always trusted your own sense of that? Or is it something you've grown into? Um, when I was younger, I had a, an accident with my middle finger. So, I mean, I've nobody able to see this on a podcast, but I have like a weird hook kind of claw thing on my middle finger, mm. um, which I can scare small children with. And it's weird, the nail doesn't properly grow. It sounds terrible um, when I, if I use it. And it, it's just rubbish. The, the finger's actually shorter than it should be like for a middle finger. So basically I had to sort of think, how do you make sound with a finger down? You know, so you've got one thing you can't use. And I think that made me think very specifically about tone and about tone production. I mean, this can all start to sound quite abstract quite quickly, but like the feeling of sound rather than actually the sonic properties, because of course that is up to like, you could think it sounds like this. I could think it sounds like something else. And we could be at complete cross-purposes because of our own understanding of what we think sound is. So it's more what I developed when I was younger was, okay, I'm down a finger here. So it was the feeling on the guitar of the right hand. So yeah, I trust it. I totally trust it. Like I know if my right hand is slightly off, if it just doesn't feel quite right, or if I need to do a bit of technical work on it, I can absolutely tell. I could even tell that before playing the guitar. I could tell it like waking up in the morning. I'd be like, oof, my right hand might be a wee bit off just now. So it's, it's very acute. I would say. It's also related to timing. Like, you know, most people think a good sound and legato is about maybe like smoothness of attack, perfect nail shape. You can go into this minutia of guitar madness for like days figuring this all out. Nine times out of ten, for me, legato and smoothness, it's about time. It's about knowing the exact point at which to re-strike the string while it's still vibrating. So it's the same as... When you watch Tiger Woods hit a golf ball or when you watch like, watch, like a tennis player like Justine Anand hit a backhand or Federer hit a backhand or um, Ronnie O'Sullivan hit a snooker cue, it just looks and feels proper. Like they have understood the weight, the distance, the pullback, the follow through, all of that. And they can connect things up, they can join things up. So they start to chain things together, you know. So for me, like sound, legato, it chains everything together. So maybe the biggest, I mean, you're going back to this biggest lesson question, but it's like, know, know what, you, what you're good at and what you like and what, what propels you in the music and then sort of grab onto that and let that energy of that take you, mm. you know, um, rather than being distracted by all these other things that just sort of, you know, take you away from what you want to do. 
What's your advice for a young musician trying to find the things that they can trust themselves on? I think that's very difficult. Yeah, it's extremely difficult because like, when you're young, you don't want feedback, right? You think you do, you pretend you do, but you don't really want anybody to tell you what they yeah. think. You know, What you want is people to agree with what you think and what you think you haven't really decided on yet and you don't really know, but you know it's really, really right and no one can tell you any different. You know that way it's like you keep reinventing the wheel every, every week in a lesson and go, oh yeah, I've got it. I mean, you know I teach all the time. And teaching for me has become like, I don't know, you're, you're a psychiatrist, you're a storage facility during a pandemic, taxi service, a, a sort of, you know, everything, right? Surrogate parent, probably. And the sort of last thing you're sometimes doing is teaching the guitar, you know, you're sort of acquainting people with a new city, with a second language, blah, blah, blah. And it's an incredibly privileged position to be in, but it's also stressful, it's difficult, you're not trained for any of these things, like, you know, so some of the advice you're giving students, you're sort of... You're relating it to your own experience. You're sort of being as objective as you can be about the things you've been asked to try and help with, you know. And, and, and actually part of that is maybe saying, actually, I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no clue. And sometimes that gives the student strength because they go, all right, he doesn't know either. And he's not tried to say something to fill that gap. Or maybe because, you know, you as a teacher don't want them to think you don't have an answer. One of the things that I think I come back to with a lot of students is, like eureka moments, right? Okay, like epiphanies. Like, I mean, not, not to have too much of a religious connotation, right? But epiphany is a great word, right? Or a, a eureka moment if we want to be sort of, I don't know, agnostic about the whole thing. But if you imagine like when you're young, and you still are, I'm ancient, but anyway, when, when you're young, you have loads of physical epiphanies, right? Somebody hands you a guitar, you don't even know how to hold it. Then you know how to hold it. Eureka, fine, I can hold this thing. Someone tells you what the names of the strings are. You now know what the strings are. You can feel them under your fingers. You go. Physical epiphany, physical epiphany, bar chord, slur, everything. You're doing it physically. You get it. You get it by having those physical eureka moments. Older you get, you have all these intellectual epiphanies. And then you pick up the guitar and it still sounds like crap because you haven't had any of those physical epiphanies to go along with it. So all the time when people get to about... Some, some of them younger, some of them 16, 17, even very smart kids younger. Some, some of the boys, maybe 18, 19, a bit later on, they get that intellectual understanding where they can see and hear a concept from beginning to end. They can put it together in their mind. They can shape it. But there's no physical epiphany going along with it. And that's a real battle for the student there because you know they can, they can hear what's good. They can hear what they want it to sound like. They can talk about it till the cows come home. But they're actually maybe losing that physical epiphany. They're losing that, oh, I just got better that week. Oh, yep, I'm stronger, I'm faster, I'm fitter, I can go to the next thing. I can progress to the next level. So maybe for me, it's sort of trying to hold on to the the physical epiphany. And in the lesson, actually, like forcing them to do it on the guitar and getting your guitar out and doing it and saying, well, see, look, it's... It's softer, it's quieter, oh, it's more legato, oh, it's louder, it's bigger, it's more alagando, what is it? You know, and trying to still convey all of the tangible, physical, real-world things rather than the abstract intellectual things, which, of course, we could debate and debate and debate and refine down and distill down, but actually, at the end of the day, we're not creating anything and we maybe haven't actually got any better, we haven't tried these things. So, you know, I'm, I, I guess we're always trying to impart the physical and trying to impart the reality of something, no matter if it's good or bad, and try and sort of keep 
keep the student mindful of the fact that like they have to try it they have to always try it to know if they like it or don't like it I mean I speak to people all the time and they tell me oh I don't like baroque music oh no I don't like contemporary music oh no I don't like Britain or I don't like Dowland like, how much Dowland have you played uh, one piece well you've no clue if you'd like it or don't like it you know I mean go away and play 60 pieces play some of them on the loop get in a consort see how we're doing here and then give yeah then tell me you don't like it fine you don't like it I believe you you know but it's um, try before you talk. <laughs> Maybe that's it. There you go. Try before you talk. Yeah, I think that's tricky when you're young, right? Possible. Because there is some. There's something kind of working in a in opposite motion here, where you probably you know the least, which means that you have to assert yourself the most. <clears throat> yeah, possibly, but also like the more you know, the less you know. And that that becomes incumbent upon you, and, and very very obvious. That the, the the more you know, the more you read, and the more you know, the more you realise there is more out there that you know less about. That's all that ever happens. It's not ignorance as well. Maybe it is ignorance as bliss, but in the the idea of like learning and knowledge is that like you're you're constantly evolving, you're constantly changing. Like I, there's not a day in my life where I go, oh Matthew, you're a really great musician, you figured it all out. I'm always like, what am I doing? I'm going to have to change this, I'm going to have to think about this. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, a, a struggle to develop and get better. And and when you're younger, you're desperate for everybody to know how clever you are. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. could wear a t-shirt, I'm really smart. It's like people are desperate to use big words, they're desperate to sound intelligent. For me, that's a private thing. Like, I, I really don't care if anyone knows how smart I am or not smart I am. It's really irrelevant. It's actually really, 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 really relevant. It's like people do it by putting letters after their name. That's that's really important. It's like, you know, oh, I, I line them all up in an order. You know that when, when kids are wee and they put all their toy cars in a big row and it's like, mm. there they all are. It's, it's really nice to have it all neat and ordered and people know what that means. For me, I think it's a, re- it's a really private thing. I would prefer through investigation and interrogation and like, you know, doing something that people realise, oh, wait a minute, we're dealing with an entity here who can come at things from a lot of different ways, rather than have all those preconceived notions that I must go and talk to this person because they're very learned and they will know. You know, it's like, let's, let's, let, let's get an ownership of that knowledge through, through the back and forth between two humans rather than having one person just sort of lecturing at you about how, how fantastically clever they feel they are. You know, it's like, and students want to emulate that. Students emulate their teachers, you know. Um, it's really good to keep students second guessing. It's really good, you know. I mean, depending on the student, sometimes you want to give like consistency and conformity and sort of a comfortable, stable environment all the time for a student so that they know exactly where they are. But then once they actually trust you and they've seen you fail, they've seen you succeed, they've seen you problem solve, it's then good to change the goalposts a little bit and be that little bit spontaneous or that little mm. bit um, unpredictable. Because that reflects more like the professional life. You know, it's like you can't always rely on things as you get older and you go through your career that have always been there. They have to change, especially in our our world of music. It's yeah. it's it's really precarious at times, you know? Mm. It gets more and more confusing, I guess. One thing that I struggle with is I, I do still need people to know that I'm then I'm clever. I need. I, I don't need people to know it, but I do need to um, show it. I feel like I need to vouch for myself a bit more. 
I used to really struggle with the intangibility of the music world. I didn't understand that in some places I was amazing and in other places people were scoffing at me. Especially as a kid, you know, because you, you literally have zero idea what you're doing. I felt like I couldn't control it. So I didn't have any totem, let's say. I didn't think, oh, but actually I have done this, I'm happy with this, ever. So I still now need a little bit that um, bolstering. And I guess being online as well, it makes it a bit difficult to not advocate for yourself because people are advocating so harshly against yeah, you. Yeah, but what does, what's this? I mean, advocating is essentially getting someone to act on your behalf. And of course, I know you can do that personally, like, you know, and there's a lot of that in the zeitgeist right now. But like, what, what, like, what does that actually mean? And like, what's the worth of it? Like, I, I totally get the idea of saying like, oh yeah, I, you're saying, you know, you still need a little bit of that, like, okay, I want people to know what I'm about and who I am and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not sitting here pretending that the last, you know, oh God, how old am I now? The last 25 years of playing concerts haven't existed, right? You know, and getting that experience and learning not to give a about some people because you just don't have any respect for them and you don't care what they think. But at the end of the day, like the only person I'm actually trying to prove anything to it's really me. That's it. Like, I'm not trying to prove... Because I go to bed at night and my thoughts are my own. I close my eyes and that's me in my head. And I have to live with that. Like, you know, I have to live with, was it a good concert, was it a bad concert? You know, if David Russell comes up to me and says, oh, that was great, and really he's just saying that because he's being nice because he hasn't seen me for six months and we all know it was a shit concert, then it was a shit concert. Like, it's not really going to make my ego when I close my eyes at night feel any better. And I'm not going to... I mean, I see that all the time. People walking about going well, such and such said this about me and, you know, read all my reviews and read my biography, which is just like, this is all the things that give me worth and give me value. And it's like, you you know, you sort of like scrape it all away and find out what's behind there. And it's usually not a lot, you know. So, I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't think, I don't think you need to prove anything to anybody, Rosie. I know, I do do find it just a little bit difficult. I think maybe it's, I, well, you can think a lot about things, right? <laughs> but um, I think probably a lot for me is that that me that I'm trying to please inside of me as me is someone who's still quite alien to me because it's my own opinions and the things that I actually like or the things that I really want to do are still kind of being discovered to me now because I, having gone through a lot of years of education and being... A good student. I was never a rebellious student. I just kind of did what anyone told me to. Um, I kind of don't know what I wanted in the first place. You know, people say, oh yeah, but what would satisfy your inner child? And I think the only child I really remember is the child who still was, you know, looking up to someone else and, and following what they thought. So I love the sort of the notion of of this discovery and holding something true to yourself. I just wonder if there's other people out there like me who are sort of thinking oh yeah that's so great but then as soon as they get back into their own room they're thinking okay but I, I actually don't know who that is I mean I'm not it does it sounds really lackadaisical to say don't think about it and don't care what anybody thinks but like you care yourself like you know and if you care enough yourself you're never really going to put anything out or you're never going to really do anything let's say artistically if we're just thinking in this in this small mm-hmm. sphere of music that you're not really comfortable with or you're not really happy with so it's whenever you're like your own internal or meter whenever that like fails and you just accept something because you know it'll tickle them or that they'll be happier whatever 
that's when it's that's when it starts that's when it cracks and that's when it starts to just get a little bit ugly or a little bit kind of like you know okay i'm not quite sure what i said there and you kind of come away going did i did i say the right thing did, i mean or, or or did i did i play the right way or am i am i really sure about that you know and then that then that that isn't going to bed at night and being like okay close my eyes what was that all about was it good or was it bad? And you can get, you can still get to sleep. That's you going. Hmm. I had the power and the opportunity to like do that differently, and I chose not to. It was like an active decision to care too much about this over here or that over there to appease that or to please that. You know, and it's when you get when you get pushed a little bit off that course. That's when you can just stay off course forever, and you can still be very successful. I mean, you see these people all the time. They pop up. They're always the same people. They pop up in the same place, doing the same thing. What is a lesson that you would like to impart? There's again, again, it's like my first answer, which is probably a dodging the question. Um, don't take it all too seriously, you know. Um, and maybe that, maybe that comes from 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 working with a lot of people around the age group of like say between nineteen and twenty seven, twenty eight. A few years oh, it just gives people so much maturity and so much perspective, you know. And what you knew, you know, this what you feel when you're eighteen and nineteen. It's not when you feel when you're 23 and 24 and it's not when you feel when you're 27 and 28 and so on and so on. Um, and, you know, sort of time and thinking about things, not just in the moment, but in a larger scale really, really helps. So don't take anything personally. Um, sort of give yourself time to think about big ideas and challenging subjects that is what we're involved in, I think, in music, you know, and... Don't think that you can just sort of assimilate this knowledge overnight, you know, and don't think if you sit in a practice room for eight hours a day, it will somehow go into your soul or your brain. It'll go into your hands, definitely, or your, you know, your embouchure or whatever it is you're doing, but it won't go into literally changing who you are, so, or developing who you are. So it's being more than a musician, you know, um, and having perspective, reading, listening to people that are very very learned on a subject and I don't just mean people that are let's say uh, very smart on one thing because that's what we do all the time right we're always looking for who can do this better than me so I can learn from them so like Mm -hmm. I would always say if I want to find out a really good way of playing something I would probably watch Rene Esquerdo the Cuban guitarist because I don't think I've really ever met a guitar player who's physically a better guitar player than Rene. Like, I think he's an incredible guitarist, right? Um, If I was... And he's a great guy. um, If I was to look for, like, a problem solver, it might be my old teacher, Alan, because he's just so good at coming from any different perspective on solving a problem, figuring something out. So all these people are specialists, right? Okay? And they help you deal with, like, minutiae. They help you deal with things in your discipline that you've got to figure out. But actually, probably the people that helped me shape a way of thinking about music and a way of thinking about art are like historians or polemicists or writers or great debaters. People who could, you know, sit in a room and debate on a topic and, you know, have angry discourse with other people who are also very learned on a topic. They can give social context. They can give... The, the history of a subject through from, you know, two, three hundred years ago to why we've arrived at a particular opinion now. People that talk about balance and um, lineage, 
and provenance and things, you know. So th- th- those kind of things, those kind of writers, like off the top of my head, I enjoy Christopher Hitchens is a great example of someone who I admire greatly for their ability not just to be an incredibly learned person, but an incredibly good reader of a room and understanding of the ridiculousness of some things that human beings do, you know, to sort of prove things to themselves or understand the world and things like that. And there's there's lots of other people. There's people that aren't, aren't just like that. You know, there are certain books that we've all read, like um, things like The Inner Game of Tennis and all these kind of things that people read and students are always walking about, making sure everyone can see the front cover of it in the cafe so that they know that they haven't read that book yet, but they're holding that book up so people think they're reading it. You know, it's like, it's not that interesting to know how intelligent someone is or isn't from the outset but it's contextualization of ways of thinking i found great help looking outside of the guitar to people who provoked me to think about the subject with a longer lifespan than just like the years i've been working on it do you know what i mean or or, or the way i think about it so people that take you outside of even like 50 years this way 50 years that way and start to give you big big context you know to her it's a crazy answer but like that the lesson i'd be in, trying to impart would be that it would be like you know don't take things personally don't take it too seriously and try to find inspiration and direction from other sources that are not just musical you know um mm-hmm. because these can they can really sharpen your your intellectual claws in a different way as well you know yeah I think things that mean something to you seems to be quite an important part of that. I think we're quite obsessed with this like global awareness, got to know a bit of history, got to know a bit of art. The curriculum in different schools reflects that. We learn art history and music history and it's this kind of cherry-picked little platter of history on on just one sumptuous board. Um, I think the things that have inspired me the most have been the most ridiculous things. I remember reading about Daniel Kahneman um, having done this um, study with Amos Tversky about life satisfaction. And the whole interview, he talked about this study that they'd done and the end of it, they asked him, so what were your findings? And he said, we just found nothing. We got funding for 25 years and we found basically nothing. The only thing we discovered is that perhaps artists people who identify as artists are more likely to end up depressed but we never found what we were searching for that was a big moment of sort of if you're talking about eureka or epiphany for me was um this joy in not having to be the ultimate knowledge master you know it doesn't have to be that you're reading bernard crick and now you know about economy you can learn just as much about economy from Returning to England and selling tobacco to your father, who, you know, teaches you about the interest on Golden Virginia over the last 10 years. <laughs> Those things are also important. I think it's important to tie it back to yourself because, like, knowledge these days, especially with the internet, kind of floats around in this ethereal space that can often be really uninspiring. <laughs> and you can become very learned but not really be interested in anything. It's too accessible. Um, it's too accessible, you know. I mean, like, I, there's no question that you could really ask... Um, anybody that if they if they had access to google they couldn't come up with an answer or come up with the reason why there isn't a definitive answer and like you say you know you could be learned on a topic but then 
how do you put that together? How do you put that together? You know that you know the thing like now if you do a pub quiz, they say please don't use your mobile phone. Please don't use your mobile phone for this pub quiz. And everyone's got their phone underneath the table. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, and trying to hide it under a jacket or something, so they can win the twenty four cans of Stella or something at the end of the night. You know, or the fifty quid kitty mm-hmm. that goes behind the bar. People used to be able to hold the knowledge in their head and give social context and political context to the knowledge and understand how it matters, you know. If you can pull it up on a phone really quickly and answer the answer that question, it's transient. You don't remember it, you know. And okay, maybe like, you know, what is it like Elon Musk is talking about, like we only use such a percentage, a percentage of our brain and if he can get something in our heads then... You know, we can be plugged into that all the time and then we can, we'll know all the knowledge all the time so then we can start to evolve different parts of our brains and we'll use more of it, we'll become like little supercomputers. And it's like, I, well, I remember like, you know, people like my dad being a supercomputer. Now, he never used the internet. I don't think he sent an email once in his life. But like, he, he had read extensively about, certainly I would say, Western history, classical history, classical music. And if I needed an answer to something, I could go to him and I could ask. And I wouldn't just simply get the answer to the question. I would get the context. I would get how we got to that answer, how it developed. And it's just a way of thinking and a way of processing information that it's dying. And it's dying from young teachers. It's dying from you. You like, you know, I see teachers younger than me that don't necessarily know how to plug everything in to, to where it is right now. And I'm not saying I, I, I do. I still look to other people for, for that kind of knowledge as well. But the contextualisation of everything is so, so key to, like, getting a really good understanding. Because, again, our vocabulary is so limited. The words we use are so, so poor. So I could say something to you that, taken out of context, you could be like, God, that's quite offensive. But, like, if we were if we had already been talking and we'd been talking for a while around a subject and we had been really free and allowing ourselves to have a really good discourse, then you would go, ah, but no, he didn't mean that at all. Like, this was the context in which he was talking. This is what we were, I'd already said this and he was responding to that and, you know, he was talking about something that happened 60 years ago and that's how we got to this and this reaction was too extreme from these people and, you know, we, we get, this way of accessing information is making us dumber, you know? It's actually like, it's like technology is enslaving people and it's also, it's, it's actually not necessarily making people smarter, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, they have the answer quicker, but do they know what the answer means, you know? Yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? I guess it's always about intentions and outcomes and how those two play with each other. Because the pub quiz one is actually a really good example of something like that. Why are you there? <laughs> you're not there because you're sitting your finals. Admittedly, if you're a doctor and somebody's sitting in front of you, and they have a set of symptoms that you perhaps haven't heard of, it's actually quite handy to have that information there at your disposal on the internet. So, but, you know, it's one of those little things that kind of reminds me of something back at school when we used to do a lot of dictation. And I remember having a theory teacher who'd always tell me, if you have to dictate something in the future, you'll always use your instrument. So it's actually quite stupid that you have to do it without probably the actionable thing that we can do is to use the knowledge that is available to us the pub quiz thing is such a perfect example of that because it's so static there's no reason why you need to know this there's no real point in winning um so really all you're doing is you're kind of anti-using your time when you're when you're searching for things right there's just no there's nothing behind it um I don't know, it's kind of, there's, I, I sort of have mixed opinions about this because I do quite appreciate that there is a lot of information out there because I think that um, 
I guess my childhood was the last generation of kids who still had parents who were like, oh, I have zero idea what the answer to this question is. I'll make something up. And then you hold this ridiculous belief until you're in your mid-twenties and then you're at a party and you say, well, actually, you know, this is a certain thing because of that. And someone says, no, it's not you stupid ass. Why have you been thinking that your whole life? But I guess there is a place for it. It's just really, really confusing. And I think technology has been so much so quickly that no one knows what place it has in their life. You know, it, it's ridiculous that we live in a world now where a 14-year-old girl doing a dance for six seconds online can be the richest, most inf- influential person in the world. It just doesn't, like, this something just doesn't correlate with the world order that we've been brought up in. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's fascinating thinking how it will change things, especially for music, because... We're an industry that really relies on people enjoying human connection, human interaction, um, trust in each other. That's something that's really up for question at the moment. We barely trust each other. So I guess maybe our personal filters become more important. Maybe actually what you were talking about before, maybe that sense of self, actually having that totem, this idea of what do I believe in? What do I hold true to myself? Not meaning that can't change, but maybe those things become just increasingly more important. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's also really important, like, you know, kind of apt right now as well with what's going on. Um, actually, knowing that you know is 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 really, really important. And, and the process you've gone to get to that is mm-hmm. really, really key. It's easy to say, right, and I liked your um, idea about, like, the 14-year-old girl does a 60-second dance or it's shorter than that, a 10-second dance on TikTok and now they're the most famous person in the world. And it's easy to say, well, you know, okay, that's really bad and it used to be really good before and I can't believe the world is going this way. That mm-hmm. seems a little bit naive. It's also okay, like technology's gone this way and, you know, maybe maybe we're just at the very, very beginning, we are for sure, of how humans use and interact with that and, and, and get the best from themselves from it. But also, the Egyptians were really, really far ahead and then they disappeared. Or if you go to Machu Picchu and you go, where have all these people gone? Like, you know, and there are countless examples through history. If you think of history as a really, really, really big, long line, rather than sort of the 60-second TikTok video, which is a postage stamp on a postage stamp on a postage stamp on a hot air balloon, and that's, the you know, the amount of, of, of time that that actually takes and the whole permutation of the whole thing. Things do disappear, and things could disappear right now. Like, all of this could disappear. The mad debate of like having a sustainable career as a musician could all disappear, because we could all be speaking Russian in five years. You know, I mean, literally, and that sounds ridiculous. That sounds like a Daily Mail headline, but like, I think we've lost things before. Like, you know, the the, the planet's lost advancement before. You know, it's it's you know, like just think of like some of the advancements that were made and then nothing happened. Think of like some of the harmony Bach used, and then it didn't appear again for like 150 years. More in some cases than some of the chords he was coming up with, and how to actually yeah. use them. You know. So we, we, we've taken these little steps forward and then we've just like sat around for ages. And I, I think like, I'm not sure about the, the internal pub quiz that we're on. Do you know what I mean? I think we might be in like the really bleak yeah. part of it. Like, you know. I think I agree with that. I think um, something that you said that was interesting is actually something I've been thinking about recently a lot, which is this idea you said, if we think of history as this long line, I think we're very graph-centric at the moment we're graph centric in how the pound relates to the euro in how the bitcoin um 
<laughs> currency relates to everyone's lives around the world. Um, COVID death, COVID cases, everything. Anyway, everything is always a graph, you know, It's it, and it's a line. It's always a line, right? But I think um, I kind of like to think of all these things as just, if we're thinking of this as a stamp on a stamp on a stamp on a hot air balloon, I think it's because we're a generation or an era that that values stamps, you know, and all those things like the Egyptians and the Aztec stuff that they did, you know, that's stamps for us. So we're collecting that. Um, I like to think of history as more just um, a huge, it's just loads of chaos points, right? And we just draw attention to the things that are documented, the things that interest us. Actually, um, a lot of history is written by people who, a little bit like we were saying before, not people who had the most knowledge, but just people who were interested in stuff interested people document so it's nice to think that history was kind of made by freaky nerds who probably sat a little bit outside of the the actual sphere of things and looked in and thought I really like that I'm gonna write about this Samuel Pepys perfect guy what was he doing you know London's burning let me write a diary entry (laughs) I don't know these people are weird people who documented history are weird and we're just in another chaos period it doesn't mean you know there's a big onus on this generation now that we're sort of the worst generation there's this real um millennial slander all the time about you know generation Z people online um it's really funny because it's just we're not talking about progress here right we can't if we're talking about human life and we you and me are talking about art and creation what that means and craft and where do we exist how do we make this connection how do we do something organic how do we live through this then we can't talk about history and all human life as a progress point that's led up until now I mean it's so it's so strange to talk about it in these terms, actually. So, but of course, I mean, we learn about history this way. That's where we find ourselves. History dissolves into politics, and politics is where we, we are now. You know, it's, it's just really um, fascinating. You know, like, to come back to music, because I guess, you know, that is, the, that is the thing that draws your podcast together. I feel like we're going off on, like, so many that's tangents. Good luck with editing this one, Rosie. But, um, Not the first time. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. Um, like, symphonic music, for example, or Western classical music, it's like smashing into a wall that it can't break out of and everybody's reinventing the wheel like do you know what I mean if you're a guitar player now I don't know could you play some electric guitar that would be cool do you know what I mean like you know could you I mean it's like people are doing the most mundanely boring things that John Williams did like with Sky or like people have been doing in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and everyone's doing them again they're just not wearing smart clothes now in a concert hall it's like it's doing my head and it's just so much nonsense going on and no one's actually to me doing anything particularly interesting and it's I mean it's it's fine it's entertaining or whatever but I think we are at a bit of a I think we're at a bit of a wall and I don't think it needs a sort of you know Shostakovich idea or like some sort of like okay let's all write serial music I don't think it needs another construct to appear but we are not developing we are definitely not developing whereas like again someone could say it's bad how language is developing because of the use of text messages because of the use of like abbreviation because of the use of new words because of like an entirely new vocabulary that people use to communicate which is actually if you look at someone like Orwell very predicted and very obvious that that speech would become very very quick and it wouldn't have so much um, subtlety or nuance in it because actually it's that's not really required when you plug yourself into this big matrix that you can access all these things actually you're the slowest thing in it 
like you are, we are the slowest things about the technology. Our interaction with it is the thing that slows it down. The computer's done it a billion times before we get there and try and plug our arms and legs and like eyes and ears and our processing speed into it. So we, we, are, we, are, we are developing exactly the way that it would be predicted when you start to use technology and you start to shape things. But we're still trying to do the same old boring things and we're just trying to make technology look at, make it look a little bit cooler or a little bit more bite-sized or a little bit more sort of digestible. You know, but like no one's come along and gone, I'm going to use this technology to do something really amazing. I mean, is it just playing electric guitar? Is that, is that, I mean, it's like it plugs in, you know, it's like, I mean, is that, is that it? I mean, a classical guitarist surely could come along and with the technology that we have now, create something, an, an entire world of music and a listener and, and viewer experience that would be something completely new and completely different. Yes, I think where this is probably going is. Um, instead of in the direction of NFTs and trying to capitalize on everything, I guess it's more on a sort of, I guess what the dream has always been for the last hundred years, couple of hundred years, this sort of democratizing, making things accessible, making things available. I really like the idea of um, work with music and VR, being able to explore different scenarios in concert settings being able to, for instance, you know, we always say this, but you can learn so, you don't really need to go and learn from a musician. You can always um, listen to all their recordings or, for instance, you can, you know, go and see them at a concert. You can learn a lot from the teachers that you don't get into school to get study with by listening to them. And I think that could be a new experience, you know, this sort of being able to visit and really watch, watching that attack. Can you imagine being able to, walk up on stage anonymously and and watch from this close you know sort of an inch away from the hand Ida Presti's hands moving I mean you could really learn an incredible amount from that so I guess that's my my baby thought about it um I think that people are trying to do things the problem is that where we get stuck with classical guitar a lot I think is that the gatekeeper in a lot of these situations is money and obviously what we do is not incredibly profitable but I mean, also, I think most people, obviously, we need to get past a huge ego gate first, which is, you know, everybody doesn't want to do the wrong thing first. Um, but all these, I think this it gets back maybe to like me at the beginning of this. It's like, see, all that stuff. I, I maybe, I maybe I'm too flippant to like just go, that's all. <laughs> let's just forget about that because I don't care. But like, you know, and if people have had like very difficult experiences with like ego gate and all these kind of things that are existing in classical music, then it must be very hard. It must be very hard to sort of like surmount those things now. I think back to like when I went to the academy, it's like I came from a school who had never had anybody go there ever. I was the first person from the high school to go. But within a few years of that, I think three people had gone. Do you know what I mean? So it was like sort of breaking a seal and like, you know, okay, we can go through now, right? And it was rough, really rough school. And I did not feel like I fitted in in this environment at all. At all. And I'm sure it did bother me at the time. But I just kind of had to get over it. Like, you know, and I had to get over it. I don't really think there was much assistance or much help from anyone. I think it was just like forcing myself to like get over that hurdle, you know, and... um I must have wanted to do it. I must have really wanted to do it. Because if I hadn't wanted to do it, I wouldn't have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I would have gone, I'd have looked for someone else to blame. I'd have looked for a, a mountain too high to climb. I'd have blamed something else and I'd have walked away from it. Like, you know, I would have found a pathway to exit, no doubt, you know. Um, 
and I just and and that's what I mean by like sometimes I think maybe I can be a wee bit like come on let's get on with it like you know let's put all of that behind us and let's just move forward but I do think that like with the right people everybody can sort of do that no matter what their introduction to classical music was or who like their first teacher was and all that sort of stuff because it's like yes it it, it, ha- it can be very impactful and it can do a lot of damage but like if the person's committed and wants to to, to stay in music and stay doing things then there are so many so many good experiences so many good people out there that like you know you can you can I think you can overcome these things but it's not as easy as sometimes I would maybe quite flippantly make it out because I'm just like come on let's get let's get going let's get doing it but and with that my Tesco delivery has just arrived Saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. I better run and get this, so I'll have nothing to eat. You know. Sure. Absolutely great. Bye for now. Bye. Altamira is the leading brand of handcrafted traditional guitars, specialising in classical nylon string, historical replica, and gypsy jazz guitars. Altamira fosters music education and performance through its foundation that hosts and sponsors international symposiums and competitions in Asia, Europe, North America and Australia. I've recently been lucky enough to be sent an N3 model guitar from Altamira and it is one of the cleanest, easiest to play instruments that I've ever had the chance to have in my collection. They're beautiful instruments, handcrafted with love and you can tell. These instruments are wonderful. They have models right down from the beginning level, right up until concert instruments that you would be proud to put your name to. You can check them out at altamiraguitars.com and again, I'll put that link in the description box so that you can check it out at your own pace. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week for the next episode of Fretna.